Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Acts 28. So it'll be a spoiler alert for you, brother. You'll, you'll kind of get to the end. I know in our limited time this morning, we won't be able to get through all of it, but um, I did prepare for you, as I usually do, some additional study notes with more detail on the history, the background. Those of you who like to dig deeper, you can scan the QR code and download this week's volume. You can also, if you use, if you use the church app or if you, you know, all the other ways that are on there, you'll get this week's study notes with all the resources and books and the guide. There's two books in there, my two favorite books on Paul that I've read multiple times. Each one is a little older, one is very new. One is by F.F. Bruce, Paul, Apostle of the Heart, Set Free. The other one is by N.T. Wright, where Tom Wright, a more recent book about Paul. They're fascinating books. And uh, both of them, of course, include this story in their writing about the life of Paul. That's all in there, along with any links to sermons or other documentaries or things that I watched to pull in for this week. That's available to you. Um, This week's story takes place finally on an island. Does anybody know the name of the island that they're on this week? If you read your email, you should know. Malta. I asked in the first service. No one said yes to my next question. Have any of you been to Malta? Anybody at all? No? Okay. Echo trip to Malta. Let's go. All I need to know is it's an island, right? (laughs) Uh, I would love to get there one day. I have never been there. It's not big. It's 18 miles long by eight miles tall. And if you look on a map, it's like a dot in the middle of blue. You have Sicily 58 miles north Okay, geography students, Sicily's in what modern-day country? Italy. Sicilians come from... We have a a real-life Sicilian right here. Yeah, okay. That's why we're really nice to you, and you sit up front, right? You live a... We'll talk about that later. But yes, yeah, so, but, but they weren't being blown in that direction. They were being blown in the opposite direction. And if they weren't blown to Malta, the next closest seashore is 180 miles southwest of Tunisia, which is on which continent? Okay, so this is where there, there's this little dot out in the middle of the sea, this 18-mile-long by 8-mile-high dot, this little island. And Paul is wanting to get to Rome. We've studied that ad nauseum. He wants to get to Rome. He has reasons why he wants to get there, and they're all good reasons, but God has a reason he wants to get there, and it's a God reason. This will really make This will make me as a teacher feel good. What was God's primary, what was the one thing God kept saying, Paul, I'm going to keep you alive till you get to Rome so that you can what? Testify before Caesar. And remember, I feel like this could be renamed for God so loved the Caesar. And you just see how deep God's love was for this very, very lost man. And I think that's a part that's lost sometimes in the story of Acts. We, we miss the fact that God was preserving Paul for Caesar and how much he, he loved Caesar exactly as much as he loved Paul. And that bothers some of us sometimes. You know, there's probably some really, really lost people in your circle. And if there's not, like, find a new circle. Like, get, you know, get around some people who don't know Jesus is what we're supposed to be doing. Um, And sometimes it bothers us. We think that maybe God likes us better than other people because of our resume. Can I just remind you, our resume is not all that good. But when I'm saved, I get a resume exchange. Now God doesn't view me in light of my resume. He views me in light of Jesus' resume. 
he loves Caesar as much as he loves Paul, and he's trying to keep him preserved. But they're in uh, this Eurachlodon, this named nor'easter blows up. They're trying to sail in the winter, which is a bad idea already. Paul warned them. They didn't listen. They find themselves in a storm that lasted. Do you remember how long? How long did this storm last without a break? Yeah, 14 days. That's a lot of rain and a lot of wind and a lot of waves. And they had all given up hope. They all thought they were going to die, including Paul. But God sends an angel to Paul to remind him again, Paul, you're not going to die. You will testify before Caesar. I'm granting your prayer for everybody. I'm going to keep all 276 of you safe. Not, Not one of you will die. But what was the bad news? But the ship's going down. So last week, the ship went down. We read it. The ship, the storm cleared enough. The sailors see a sandy beach. They say land, and they do the best they can with the remaining tackle that they have, this backup sail and these very crude ways of steering to try and point the boat towards the sandy beach ahead. And as they're moving towards the beach, what happens? Does the boat get the whole way there? No, that's why they did not build a port on this side of the island. Now, on the other side of the island, There was a huge port, and if they would have been on that side of the island, the sailors would have all recognized, oh, we're by Malta. But they had never been to this side because you don't try and land a boat on this side of the island. But they run into rocks, the front of the boat gets stuck, and all the waves are beating the boat to smithereens. It's coming apart. And so pretty much they say, all right, everybody's going to have to go overboard. Swimmers, you go first and jump overboard and literally swim for your life. Okay, and then those who hadn't gone to the ancient, you know, pre, you know, the ancient swim lessons class, what did they have to do? Pretty much had to grab onto something, and you know, I told you there really are people who believe that this is a reference to bodyboarding or surfing. They held onto the wreckage, and they had to let the waves bring them into shore. And that's where we leave them off last week. I do need to make sure that you're in the. Oh, did I not even bring my notes out here? Oh boy, this is going to be a longer mess. I'm just kidding. I didn't. I must have forgotten them. All right, we'll roll with. Oh no, there they are. And everybody said, "Thank God." It's always longer when I don't have my notes. <laughs> this keeps me on track. Uh, but I just want to help you for a second understand they got to shore. All of them did. Now put yourself in their shoes for just a moment. I need to do better. Have any of you done this weird thing we've come up with called the polar plunge? You did a cr- I, Okay, I believe that. Okay. More than once? Just once? Do you know what a polar plunge is? It's when people, these, with all due respect, these sickos <laughs> say, you know, sometimes it's for raising money. Was it for raising money for you? Okay. Okay. Less, okay. So these generous, sacrificial people pick a cold day, like a cold day in the middle of the winter, and they go to the ocean, and they get into their bathing suits, and they run into the water, or they jump, you know, they cut a hole in the ice, and they jump in the water, and they get all wet, and then they get back out. I don't know who came up with this. I want you to understand it is winter. It's the winter of 59 AD. And these men have just jumped in the water and they swam for their lives and now they pull up on shore. How do you think you would feel if you got out of the ocean in the middle of winter and you're on the shore? Cold, wet. Now, where is your luggage if you're one of these guys? It gone. How many changes of clothes do you have to your name now? Where's your wallet and your ID? Where's your cash? Where's your Venmo app? 
not invented yet. Can I just tell you their plight? First of all, um, if where's your boat? Where's all your net worth in the form of cargo? So it's a little bit better, but it's still pretty bad. But they're alive. But they're alive, shivering, and hypothermic, and hungry, and broke, and stuck for at least three months on an island that is inhabited by civilized people. These islanders, uh, you know, 1000 BC, this island was colonized. And then in 218 BC, it was conquered by the Romans. So if this is about 60 AD, there's roughly 280 years of history on this island of Rome having this under their umbrella. They are civilized people. They don't speak Paul's language. Paul doesn't speak their language. But these 276 people just swim and surf into their shore. And can we just remember for a moment the type of the categories of people that were on this boat? Well, you, got some, you got some prisoners on there. What kind of prisoners? The kind who were con- probably sentenced to death and on their way to Rome to be fed to the gladiators and the lions for sport. Not the type of person you want banging on your apartment door at two in the morning asking to use your bathroom. There's also some business people and some merchants, and then there's a Paul, there's some soldiers. So this 10 verses that we're going to study today in the next 21 minutes answers a mystery that N.T. Wright summarizes better than I could, so I'll read his summary. This scene, quote, this scene, as told by Luke, is no doubt compressed and idealized. In other words, he's not going to give you everything that happened in three months in the span of ten verses. However, it explains what might be puzzling, namely how this entire party, presumably now without money or any other means to rent accommodations, was able to somehow last through the winter months of 59 to 60 AD before it was once again possible to sail. It's interesting. By verse 10, this group is clothed, fed, healthy, and they have a boat. And my question is, what in the world, where did they get this from that, this is not like Survivor. Jeff Probst is not coming out of the jungle and giving them the raw materials to build a boat. They wash up on shore. They're thankful to be alive, but then they're kind of like, oh, kind of like maybe the Israelites. You know, they made it through the Red Sea. They're happy, and then a couple weeks later, they're like, this is really lousy. Can we just go back? What happens? Let's read. Chapter 28, verse 1. Once we were safe on shore. Now, that's an important detail. All 276 were safe. Why is it important? Well, Paul prophesied that it was going to happen. And if you're going to call yourself a prophet, you better be right 100% of the time. If you're a prophet who's right 90% of the time, what's the other 10%? It's not true prophecy, it's false prophecy. That's a little aside. I know people like titles today, but that's one I wouldn't rush to try and make sure it's on your business card. You know, operate in those gifts with humility and with wisdom. Once we're safe on the shore, we learned we were on the island of Malta. Again, 
They didn't recognize it because the sailors would have never come to this side of the island. They would have only gone to the port side. But they probably found out from the islanders they were on Malta. This is a cool verse, verse 2. The people of the island were very kind to us. These were not uncouth savages. These were kind, generous, hospitable men and women. And it's interesting, the original language, if you have the oldest version of the King James, it would read this way. The people of the island were showed us unusual kindness. Not even usual kindness. This is above and beyond kindness. And we're going to find out just how kind they were. It was cold and rainy. And they're already just being fished out of their polar plunge. So they build us a fire on the shore to welcome us. Now, let me ask you a question. I've built some bonfires in my day, 90% of them legally. How many people are cold? 276. How big of a bonfire? Jim and Carol, it's wonderful to see you. Welcome back. We have been praying for you. We're so glad that you're here today feeling good enough to be here. We're going to keep praying until you feel 100% all the way better. But it's so good to have you here, my dear brother and my dear sister. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Good to have you. But how big of a bonfire would you need for 276 people? This is an epic bonfire. This is huge. And a big bonfire needs a lot of wood, right? And so they build them a huge fire. I read one of the commentators says, how could you keep a raging bonfire burning in the rain? And so now I have been around fires that can burn in the rain, but they're convinced that they invited them indoors somewhere. I don't know. All I know is that they build a big fire to warm them all up. And this is no small task. This is not just like some little tiny, you know, boil some water in a cup, you know, soup cup can. This is a big fire. Well, what does Paul, what, what do we see the grand poobah Paul doing? Everything he's, you know, prophesied came true. He's of the island. He was right. They were wrong. And what is he doing? Verse 3. Look what he's doing. There's Paul, the apostle, the writer of lots of letters to the New Testament, perhaps the greatest preacher who ever lived. You know what he's doing? He's not around the fire with everybody else warming himself. He's out gathering an armful of sticks. That's servanthood. Here's a man who saw no task as being beneath him. Now, I could make a good case for like, listen, man, he's been through a lot. Could we give him a couple days off? Could we let him have a nice hot, you know, cup of whatever they drank back then? I don't know, boiling water. And can you get him some clean clothes and give him a good bath, maybe a shave? Could he get a good night's sleep? But he's like, no, there's sticks that need to be gathered and I'm going to help. I'm going to help serve my fellow men, and they gathers an armful of sticks, lays them on a fire. And then the part of the story that a lot of us get fascinated by that Luke doesn't really talk a whole lot about, he says it kind of matter-of-factly. A poisonous snake, the original Greek there says a female adder, A-D-D-E-R, driven out by the heat, bit Paul on the hand. This poor guy. Like, the shipwreck didn't get him. You know, the bad food didn't get him. Starvation didn't get him. And here he is, finally gets, and he's just trying to help somebody out. And a snake bites him. Uh, it's, it's Bruce Almighty, right, where he smite me, you mighty smiter, or something like the guy's just yelling at the sky, like, can it get any worse? That's not what Paul does here. Um, 
Now, in your notes, I will encourage you to read them because there are some people who think that this is a fabricated story because there's no poisonous snakes on that island today, nor is there a lot of brush to build these kinds of fires. There's very plausible explanations to both. I put them in your notes, so if you like to dig a little bit deeper, make sure you look at that. But here's what's interesting. Um, This is in no way a story that we're supposed to read today and say, you know what we should be doing as Christians? We should pass around snakes at every service. And whoever the snake bites, that means they've done something wrong. They don't have enough faith. That's crazy, okay? I think this is a scene that talks about how the gospel came to Malta. Let me prove that to you. Because in verse 4, I don't think Luke is as focused on the details of the snake bite as he is fascinated by the reaction of the onlookers. Verse 4, the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand. And they said to each other, now you're going to hear their theology right here. This is a theological statement. You're going to find out what religious ideas the people on this island who to the best of our knowledge had never heard from a Christian or from a Jew. They don't have a biblical awareness. Here's what they interpret as going on here. They said to each other, a murderer, no doubt, even though he escaped the sea. Now, here's a bad translation. Justice will not permit him to live. Well, what's the bad translation? In the NLT, justice is lowercase j. Do any of you have an older translation or a different one where the j there is capitalized? Okay, it should be. Because the Greek word they used here is the Greek word decay, which was the name of the Greek goddess of justice, who was believed to be the daughter of Zeus. What they're saying is, based upon the fact that this dude survived that shipwreck by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin and got here to the island and was trying to build a fire, but a snake randomly jumps out and bites him, he must be a bad person. And they think the worst possible person they could come up with is a murderer. They say, no doubt he's a murderer because he escaped the sea, but DK will not permit him to live. This is a theological statement because here's what they believed. Bad things should be punished and good things should be rewarded. And in their religious system, they believed justice was appropriate, that there should be an outside third party who watches how we live and divide and pass judgment, things that we do that are morally right and things that we do that are morally wrong. I want you to know what these people believed in already. There is right and there is wrong. Good things should be rewarded. Bad things should be punished. And the way, the appropriate way to deal with that is called justice. And we have a goddess that we invented, not discovered, that we invented, and she is the one responsible. She must have been watching this man, and she knows he's a murderer. Therefore, she's making sure he can't escape justice. Here's my question for you. Where in the world did they get that idea? Where did they get the idea that there is right and that there is wrong and that there should be justice and that bad things deserve punishment and good things? Where would they get that? Romans 1.18 tells us pretty clearly where they got that, that God has planted in the heart of every human being the idea of right and wrong, 
and that he has implanted, it's called a conscience, and he's put it into us, and that every human being has the, the Romans goes on in more detail, I'm just summarizing, that every human being has, has the ability to grab onto that, and if we let it go to its natural conclusion, it's going to show us, I am irreparably broken, and I deserve to be punished for the wrong things I know that I've done, and I can't fix it or pay it off. I, my best hope is someone has to save me from this. But Paul says the problem is that even though we grab onto that, most of us suppress that with our flesh. So what I want you to see here is that these people on the island were created by God with an internal awareness or affinity to the truth of the gospel. There is right. There is wrong. When we do wrong, we deserve justice. And so what they think they are witnessing is a murderer who is getting the appropriate sentence for what he's done. Now, can I push this just a little further before we totally throw them off as wacky? Was Paul a murderer, maybe? Most people believe that he was. Paul, whether he was actually the one that physically committed murders or whether he considered himself to be an accessory to murders, he says of himself, I'm the one who cast votes in favor of seeing Christians persecuted and put to death. Did Paul deserve a snake bite to kill him? Absolutely. What does every sin deserve? You know this, right? Justice in what form? The wages of sin is death. Wage is what you deserve. Now, you're not amening me now, but on payday, if it's short 100 bucks. I deserve that. I work for it. That's my wage. You know what we deserve? Death because of sin. They're not that far off. I mean, they took a sharp left turn and missed a huge part of it, but they're getting there. And so, absolutely, every human being who has done wrong deserves death. However, the story takes a twist, which I believe reveals the gospel to them. Look at verse 5. But Paul, I just want to, do you see how little of a deal Luke makes out of Paul's reaction? Well, first thing I'm going to do, if a snake bites my hand, I'm going to get the snake off my hand. Snake bites Paul's hand. He doesn't complain. He doesn't have theater. He doesn't ask for help. He doesn't run around screaming. He shakes it off into the fire and was unharmed. There's a lot more I could say about Jesus' prophecy here, but I don't have the time to be able to get into it. But there is, this is confirming an earlier prophecy, prophecy Jesus made um, where he talked about uh, what types of things would accompany the people who he was sending out to evangelize the world. It's not him in, encouraging us to go around and try and <laughs> repeat all these things on our own and prove how spiritual we are. These were accompanying signs, not tests of God, but that's another message for another day and probably for Georgia where I came from. But anyway, um, here's the thing he zooms in on. The people waited for what? They waited for Paul to swell up or drop dead. They're all gathered around Paul. Probably Dr. Luke is checking, looking to see if, a, a, if an anti-venom kit survived because they knew what happened. If you got bit by one of these snakes, you swelled up, and you died. But when they had waited a long time, well, how long is a long time? I don't know. Long enough. And they saw he wasn't harmed. Here's what you have to do if you have bad theology. You have to change your mind. They changed their mind. 
You see, anytime you have theology that's not rooted in the Bible, you can hold to it as tight as you want, but something will come along one day and it'll try and undermine it. And you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to change your theology to fit that. Don't you want to base what you think about the most important stuff in creation on something that won't change every 10 minutes? Just a thought. It's much simpler. Anyway, they change their mind and now they decide, oh, he's not a murderer, he's a god. You see, Paul could only be one or the other in their minds. He either had to be, you know, superhuman or superman, one or the other. And he was neither. He was just a follower of Jesus. But here's what they see. They see the gospel lived right out there. Here is a man who was a murderer, who deserved to pay for his sins. And there is an old serpent that wanted to take him out. Come on, somebody. There is a serpent that wanted to take him out. And that serpent bit him, but that serpent didn't have any venom left because he had already emptied his venom into a person who took Paul's punishment before him. You see, God is just. You know what that means? He can't allow your sin and my sin to go unpunished. That's not being a good judge. A good judge doesn't say, you're guilty. Ah, but we'll sweep it under the rug. Just go home and be free. A just judge says, I cannot allow sin to go unpunished. It must be punished. But a just judge also does not make a penalty be paid twice when it's already been paid off once. What does that mean? That means that in Christ, I don't have to come to God and beg him to please forgive my sin. Your sin the payment for it has already been paid once. It was put on Christ. So when I come to him for forgiveness, I'm simply accepting and receiving what's already been done. And what they're seeing here is a guilty man who deserves death, but through some other intermediating circumstance, that thing bites him and does not kill him, all because of Christ. Can you imagine the lesson that Paul would be able to come behind this and say, oh, no, this is, I'm, not just, I'm not a god. I might be a murderer. Let me tell you why. I'm not going to drop dead here because of Jesus. Here's what he's done. This poor guy has just gotten off the boat, and he's already building fires. He's serving people. He's got a crowd gathered around him. He's been bitten by a snake. He's a living, breathing gospel testimony. What does this mean? Here's an application for you. And it's a quote from Richard Longenecker. I'm going to give him credit for it. But I love this statement. The true servant of Christ is, never, is like Paul, never off duty for his Lord. The true servant of Christ is like Paul, never off duty for his Lord. Do you know what a time clock is? Do any of you know what these archaic devices are? I've had several jobs in my life where they actually had a time clock. When I worked in room service in college, I would have to take my time card out of a slot on the wall when I got to work, and I'd slide it into this little machine, and it would stamp the actual time that I started. I put it back in the slot, and what that meant is I had to do as I was told until I slid it back in there again. It was an exchange, labor for wages. It was hard work. It paid well, but it was hard work. Paid for three of my four years of college on tips from running room service. To Richard Simmons and everybody else that sold things on QVC because we had their accounts. So anything you saw sold on there, you know, the guy, what was it, George Hamilton with the tanning stuff? Yeah, so, yeah, those are the famous people I, I, I served their, you know, their room service to. But it was hard work. And I had a tough boss. And I'm telling you, my coworkers could not wait to punch out 
because that meant I don't have to do anything the boss says for the next 14 hours until I come back to work. I want you to know that following Jesus does not have a time clock. We don't punch in and say, all right, I'm going to go teach kids for now, and I'm going to punch out, and I've done my good duty for the week. Can I tell you that some of the most prime opportunities you will have to serve Jesus will come at a time that you aren't prepared for it, you're not prayed up, your little light might not be shining, you don't have the extra money on you, you don't have the extra time to deal with it. Some of the most prime opportunities I've had in my life, I'd like to say I made the best of all of them. I missed some of them. You know why? It was inconvenient. It was uncomfortable. I was too busy, too focused, disconnected. You can always find a reason to miss an opportunity to serve Jesus. But Paul shows us in season and out of season, he was on duty to serve his Lord and serve his fellow man. It's, uh, it's a, just an amazing example of a man who, by all, if there's anybody in that era who had the resume to say, that type of thing is beneath me, probably could have been Paul. But it shows us that the closer you walk to Jesus, you become like him, and he was a servant of everybody. And so I encourage you, walk close to Jesus. Say yes to those opportunities. They will absolutely inconvenience you. I remember an article I read by a mom. It was a blog post. I can't remember the name of the article, but it struck me. She said, uh, you know, my, my elementary age student came up to the bed one night and, and shook me awake at two in the morning and said, Mom, I can't sleep. And she said, the first words that wanted to come out of my mouth is, that's not my problem. Go back to bed. It's two in the morning. And I'm thinking, that is Jesus saying that to your children. But she said, I had a moment of self-awareness and I recognized what my flesh wanted to say is, this is not a convenient time for me to be a parent. Go back to bed until I punch the clock. And she said, I settled in my heart that when God chose me to be a parent, that what comes along with it is there is never a time when you are off duty as a parent. Serving Jesus means being willing to say yes to opportunities to serve him even when it's inconvenient and you're busy, it's not in your budget, you don't have the time, you don't have the patience. Those are some of the most prime opportunities to serve the Lord. I got to keep going. I'm running short on time. Let me keep reading. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He was pretty much the main, there's a lot you can read in your notes, main guy. Whether he was the governor or not, I don't know, but probably the wealthiest guy, most influence. He had a big estate on the beach. So that's a pretty good sign that he had some substance here. Here's a crazy verse. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. Now, can we just stop here for a second? I love being married to Kendra. Therefore, If I think I'd like to have a house guest come visit, I give advance notice and we have discussion before they show up. Okay, okay, we're bonding together this morning. There is some debate when Luke uses the word we here, if he's just describing himself and Paul and Aristarchus and maybe a few of the wealthier guys, or whether he says Publius was hospitable to all 276 of us. Luke doesn't give us any reason to believe it was anything other than the whole group. Do you understand how inconvenient and expensive this kind of hospitality is? He fed them unannounced for three days at least. 
That, that's not in most of our budgets. This is the unusual kindness he's talking about. He welcomed them. And I want you to know, Publius is not a Christian. These are pagans. These are people who have no faith. They are not taking care of these men in the name of Jesus. But you know what? They were hungry, and they fed them. They were thirsty, and they gave them drink. They were cold, and they warmed them. Does the, do those words sound familiar? These are unbelievers who are morally capable of showing the utmost of kindness and hospitality. And because I have to move quickly, let me just go to the next point and I'll read you three quotes and then we'll carry on. This thought just struck me as I read this. If unbelievers can demonstrate hospitality and empathy for others in need, how much more should we as believers be eager to do the same and more? I have no ability to assess or to give you any kind of a grade, nor do I want to, about your personal efforts and hospitality and empathy. Not my job, not my interest. But is there room for growth for you? Is there room for growth in us? If we were to take a film crew around our county, we went over to the avenue this afternoon and we got people to agree to, to a short interview and we asked them, give me the top two words you think of when you think of church or church people. Wouldn't you like kind and hospitable and generous to be in that list? Do you think it would make it? You probably have some room to go. And to be fair, not everybody knows the whole story. But here's a few quotes I got from Dr. Whitelaw. If soft places exist in even the hardest of hearts, how much more should Christ's people with Christ's heart be forward in helping their fellows? Another one of his quotes. There is in this passage a rebuke to many Christians whose conduct in showing kindness to their fellow men falls far behind that of these untutored islanders. Last quote. Christians should never allow themselves to be surpassed in courtesy by the men of the world, though they sometimes are. Now, I will allow this. Some humans come into the world and some cultures embrace hospitality in very high ways. When I pastored in, oh, we don't have time. I, when, I, when I pastored in the South, in Georgia, in Atlanta, it was 20, 19 years ago when I moved down there. I moved from here. My first Monday on the job, I was handed a list of 10 names, and the pastor said, go knock on all their doors. I said, okay, should I call? For, are they expecting me? Oh, no. Um, why am I? These are people who visited Sunday. I'm just going to go knock on their door unannounced. Oh, yeah. I'm from here. <laughs> I'm like, this is the worst idea I've ever heard. I'm terrified going up to the first door. I'm like, I'm moving back to Maryland. I'm never going to. I knock on the first door. Person opens up the door. I just said, I'm apologizing. Hi, I'm Pastor Phil. I'm here on behalf of Pastor Randy. Just want to stop by and thank you for visiting our church on Sunday. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all come on in here and sit, sit down. Uh, hey, sweetie, move over. Yeah, why don't you sit down at the table? They sat me down at their table and fed me dinner. Southern hospitality is a real thing. There is no term for northern hospitality. Some cultures embrace hospitality different than the rest of us. 
Maybe you're that kind of person. You are naturally, even outside of Jesus, you are hospitable. And then there's others of us who naturally aren't. We're timid, we're to ourselves, we're nervous, we're aloof, we're introverted, we're antisocial, we're whatever we are, but we're not naturally hospitable. I just want you to know you don't get a free pass for that in God's kingdom. Kindness is one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in us. God in his loving kindness towards us draws us. Here's the good news. In Christ, if you are already naturally kind and hospitable, guess what? Through the Holy Spirit, he will take that to another level. And if you weren't, guess what? You now have the ultimate source of kindness living inside of you that can transform and mold you into being kind like Jesus is. I'll keep going. I got to finish. Let's keep going. There's a lot more to say there. I don't have any more time. Uh, Uh, Verse 8, as it happened, which is a funny phrase, now we're going to find out why did this random boat end up on this random island? Well, as it happened, Publius's father was ill with, I'll spare the details, fever, original language fevers, plural, and dysentery. I'll spare you the medical. All you need to know is this is true story, true. The Maltese goats, please stay with me. The goats native to Malta had a microbe that their body produced that when it got into the milk that the people drank could give them what was called the Malta fever, which was recurring fevers and dysentery that lasted a minimum of four months to up to two years. Ah! Yeah! As it happened, Publius's father has this. Paul went in, and there's this interesting order of two events. Paul prays for him first, and then in a second event, he lays hands on him, and he healed him. Now, you all know this was not written in English. This was written in Greek, and I won't nerd out too much, just enough. One thing I find interesting is that prayer and laying on of hands, if you study it through the New Testament, were connected, but they were two two different activities. They prayed first, and then they laid on of hands. And the short answer to why I think that that is, is I think it's an arrow of humility. Paul prayed first to God because he knew that there was a healing about to take place. And Paul wanted people to know, I don't have it in me. I'm going to pray to the one who has the power to heal. He prayed first, and then he laid hands on just to indicate he was simply a vessel, an instrument that God was using. And I think we see that consistently through the New Testament. But I'll keep going. Uh, there's, there's a Greek word that Luke uses right there for healing that I'll give you in a second. But now he's going to talk about some more healings. Now, here's, here's what happens next, verse 9. Then all the other sick people on the island came. Of course, why wouldn't they? This God who survived the shipwreck and a snake bite laid his hands on the dude and the Malta fever went away. Let's all come in. So Luke says, then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. Now Luke is writing two sentences and the English language is less exact than Greek. In the Greek language, here we can bring that up, there's 56 times in the New Testament where in Greek we find the word for heal, healing, and healed. Every time we translate into the English word healing, but the Greek language has four different words described episodically to give more accurate description of how something that was sick got better. The point I'm driving at here is that Luke intentionally uses 
one word to describe the healing event with Paul and Publius' father, and a different word to describe how the other people got healed. And I just want you to, there's a beauty in the fact that he puts both of them on an equally supernatural playing field. Let me just show you really quickly the four different words. Diatsozo means to cure, preserve, rescue, heal, or make perfectly whole. That's in Luke 7, 3. That refers to more of like an instantaneous, complete healing. Okay. Second word in the Greek, iama, that's the one found uh, with Publius' father. He was immediately cured. There was an affected healing. Okay. So it's very similar to the first word. There's a third word we find uh, in connection with, with Jesus, and then in another instance in Acts 14, which means to deliver or protect or to heal by making safe or delivering. And every one of those occasions you'll see it used in your testament, someone was healed by having demonic forces cast out of them. Okay? So they were kind of addition by subtraction. They're made better by being made safe. But then there's a fourth word, and it kind of looks like an English word. Do you see that Greek word, therapeuo? What does that look like in English? Therapy, to wait upon domestically, to relieve of disease, or to cure medically. Now, before you get all offended about this, what I just want you to see is that Luke says two healings happened, two different ways. God, I'll say it this way, that God is so big, he has more than one method for healing people. Because there's some who are really really into those instantaneous type healing stories. And look, they're cool. They're awesome. They're not, this is not controversial, statistical fact, they're not common, but they happen. Well, when and how? When God decides to. Why? Because God wants to draw attention to himself, not to us. But isn't it awesome that people say, oh, these people who don't believe that God can heal this way, they're so narrow-minded. No, here's what narrow-minded is. Narrow-minded is saying God can only heal one way, and it's only instantaneous, and it's always instantaneous, or it's not healing. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that God can absolutely heal completely and instantaneously. And also gradually, and also by deliverance, and also through medical cures, by downloading the blueprint of the creation he designed to human beings, allowing them to discover it and implement truth that he created, that he revealed, that they figured out to be able to help them. And here's what Luke does Luke puts them both on a level playing field, says, Those are both miracles. Those are both equally miraculous. Now, if that bothers you, can I lovingly say, your view of God is way too narrow. Let him be bigger than what you think he is. Can't you just see medical doctor Luke feeling like, wow, I, I don't have those gifts that Paul has. All I have is this ability to practice medicine. And then sick people come. And he says, well, I know how to help your fever. I know how to help dysentery. And couldn't you see a scenario where maybe he actually is able to go side by side with Paul and help administer some treatment and these people get cured. And what does Luke do in that moment? He doesn't say, look at these hands and how smart I am. He says, God is the healer. He can heal many different ways. My last application point, I hope this helps you. God has revealed various methods for releasing healing power. Each way is as miraculous and amazing as the others. You have heard, and we have heard, Elaine, of God's 
healing power that hit you immediately and gradually. And you're how many cancer-free now? A year, stage four, right? She shared her testimony here. And then I also know others of you that say, you know what, I was mentally unhealthy. And over the last two years, God has healed me through a gradual process of therapeo. James, uh, James 5, uh, confess your faults to one for another and pray for one another that you may be healed through confession and talk therapy to another believer. It helps you get your mind right. Pastor, you're, are you diminishing the value of miracles? No, I hope I'm expanding your definition. <laughs> They're bigger than that. I'm glad he can do that, but it's also awesome that he can do all those other things too. Verse 10, what was the result? Verse 10, this is awesome. As a result... We were showered with honors. I said this in the earlier service. If you're going to shower with anything but soap and shampoo, shower with honor, right? And when the time came to sail, these people were so thankful, the people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. And every prosperity gospel teacher that I know grabs this verse and says, see, I need a plane, I need a boat, I need a this because of all that I've done. That's not what the Bible teaches. This was just a natural, generous Perhaps unsolicited. Luke gives us the idea that the people were not motivated by being solicited or pitched. It just says, as a result of our ministry, they gave back to us and supplied for us the boat that was going to get them to Rome. Amazing little island that they stopped on. This little island shows us the gospel. It teaches us about the kind of hospitality the world has and challenges us to say we should be at least at that bar and probably greater if we have the heart of Jesus within us. This island actually teaches us something about healing. Do you know why many people get nervous to pray for somebody else who's sick? Why do you get nervous in those moments? Could you be honest enough to say, there you go. That's one of the things, you know, I know I should pray for them, but what if God doesn't heal them? Is it my fault? Is it their fault? Do I need a different formula? Is it in his will, out of his will? This chapter gives me peace to be able to say, look, I don't do the healing. The pressure is off. What's my job? To be like Paul, to pray to God in faith, to lay hands, to lay hands on and say, I care about you. I'm connected to you. I'm with you. I know you're suffering. We love you. I don't want that person to go. I can do something about that person going away feeling unloved and uncared about. And I leave the healing up to the Lord. So now you can pray with faith and confidence for every sick person in your life. Don't forget to love them. Don't forget to show care for them. Don't forget to metaphorically, I know we're in this COVID era touching hands. Look, Laying hands on them can be symbolic. It's just a way of saying, I'm humanly, I am a vessel of God to you. I am with you. I am connected to you in this. Now I can pray for everybody with the confidence knowing that it doesn't, the healing or the doesn't healing doesn't rest on me. It's all about him. My job is just to be obedient and faithful, to be a vessel of his love and power and let God and his sovereignty choose how he manifests that. Amen? Let me pray for you. Will you bow your heads with me? Worship team, will you come back quickly? This chapter had three points that probably don't relate to one another. This was more of a Bible study than a sermon, I'm sure. In a sermon, we're trying to drive it all towards one point. In a Bible study, we're just saying, whatever is here, let's talk about it when it comes up. So this had everything to do with serving the Lord at all times, to an appeal to kindness and generosity, to a metaphor about the gospel, all the way down to healing. The most important thing for me is to ask this question. Are you right with God through Jesus? Do you know that? 
I have no doubt that Paul taught that to the islanders, lived that out with them. But I'm not speaking to the islanders today. I'm speaking to you. Are you ready for Jesus to save you? He's done all the work. He's faithful. He's just. Are you at a place where you know you're not living the life God wants you to live, that you should be living? Do you believe that you need to be saved? Do you believe that Jesus alone can save you? Because like we talked about, he is the one who already took your punishment. Not his punishment, he took yours. And the father, the judge, was satisfied with Jesus' payment because he raised him back to life. He defeated death. And he said, anyone who puts our hope and faith in Jesus will follow. He was the first fruit of those raised from the dead. You ready for your future and your present to be secure in him? Purpose and an identity that is durable. Well, the next step is yours. Repent and believe. That's it. Repent and believe. Turn away from how you're living and turn to Jesus' way. Believe you need to be saved, that he can save you and that he will save you. And put that into your words and share that with him right now. Confess that to him right where you're at. Go ahead. Go ahead. Many have done that. Over 100 in this room have done that in the last 12 months. have made that decision. We want you to come into family today. Pastor, can you be more specific? What do I need to say? Well, there's not one specific thing to say, but... Sure, I can help you. A prayer that you say with your lips. God, I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Please forgive me. I repent from living for me. And I surrender to living your way. Because you're the Lord. I believe, Jesus, you lived a sinless life that I haven't lived. You died a real death in my place as my substitute. And I believe what the apostles and all the eyewitnesses have reported. I believe you rose from the dead and you're alive today. Make your home in me. And day by day, Holy Spirit, transform me into the image of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are saved. Nothing more you need to do. You are saved because of Jesus. Through his grace, and through your faith. There's one additional thing. I, it's not an, I shouldn't use that word. It's not an additional thing. It's just a request, a favor. It's an optional thing. I just like to celebrate with people who make this decision. If you prayed that prayer with me today, I'm going to count to three. My eyes are open because I just want to make eye contact with you. But if you prayed that prayer with me today, when I count to three, would you just be bold enough and brave enough to raise your hand, make eye contact with me? You can put it right back down. I just want to celebrate this moment with you. Who prayed with me today? One, two, three. Anybody pray with me this morning? Anyone else? Awesome. Jesus, we all lay our hearts before you today. Work on us. Help us. The areas where you've affirmed us, thank you for encouraging us and letting us know that we're making progress. Lord, for each of us, help us grow in kindness. And we know the way that happens is we have to decrease and you have to increase. So I guess all we ask for is opportunities to practice. So will you give us all an opportunity to practice kindness this week? Um, whether we're ready for it or not, may this moment last in our mind that when that opportunity comes up, the Holy Spirit, you can remind us, hey, this was the opportunity you prayed for, and then lead us as to what kindness looks like in that specific moment as it's unique to us. Father, increase our faith to believe 
for healing for those who aren't well. And Father, just as I did in the early service, I stretch out my hands to my brothers and sisters today. And I just pray a simple prayer of faith through Jesus. Jesus, I believe that when you hung on the cross, I believe what the word says, that healing is part of the atonement that you provided for us. God, you can heal. You do heal. You will heal. And I pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters that is in need of physical, mental, and spiritual healing today, emotional healing today, that you will minister to them the healing balm of Gilead that will make them completely whole. Not because of me, not because of anybody else, but because of you. And may it be a testimony to the unbelieving world of a God that is real and powerful. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you're willing and able, let's close our service together. Will you stand with me? Our team's going to lead us in one more song of worship. As we worship, we're going to give you an opportunity to worship the Lord in your giving today. If you, by cash or by check, if you want to, if you fill it out, one of these cards and you want to drop it in there, that's fine. We'll make sure it gets where it needs to go. Um, I realize most of us don't carry cash and checks with us anymore, these crazy days that we live in. You can't even go to a baseball game and use cash anymore, I found out. So Dave Ramsey's got to get a hold of these guys because <laughs> my cash at the Orioles game. But um, if you, if you, many of you have already given online this week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are making a difference in this church, in this community, and in this world. Thank you for that. I got a report. Uh, I got an email from Feed One that already this month you've given $3,500 to feed children already this month. So thank That's what, uh, 350 kids if my math is. Is it it's $10 a kid a month, yeah. right? Yeah, so 300. I can divide by 10. I'm a tither, so I should be able to figure that out. All right, so 300, 350 kids already this month. I know, but yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. And I know, I know we're going to get some Bibles out there this week. We're going to get some kids taken care of with shoeboxes and all of God's needs. Oh, God's needs. He has none. He's self-sufficient. We're the ones with needs. All of God's dreams for us will be resourced by him through us. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. In fact, prayer team, why don't you come as well? If you'd like prayer, um, you can just come to any one of us. We'd be happy to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. It's been a great day of being together. In these closing moments, water into our heart those things you want us to remember throughout this week. We just lift our gifts to you today, and we trust you to be able to help us to make wise decisions about how we reinvest those gifts into your kingdom for maximum impact. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with Him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.